and welcome back to Making Sense of Money, a podcast dedicated to making tough financial topics easier to understand. I'm Nikki Janquilla-Shanks, one of your hosts. And I'm Andrew Pellegrini. Today is part two of our podcasts about help with housing costs. So previously we focused on programs specifically for homeowners. Today we're going to be focusing on help for renters. And we are joined once again by Carrie Beyer of IDFPR. So Carrie, I know you introduced yourself the last time, but can you briefly do so again in case any of our listeners out there missed it? Yes. And thank you, Andrea and Nikki, for having me today. At IDFPR, I am the director of the Anti-Predatory Lending Database, and I also handle investigations and consumer complaints for the Division of Banking. I've been with the Division of Banking just over a year, and before that, I worked at a legal aid clinic, which offered free legal advice and representation to individuals with low income. We address various types of legal problems that our client encountered, and of course, housing was a big part of that, those types of problems that we, we would tackle every day. And I just love having my colleague here. Again, it's so fun for me. <laughs> All right. So as always, you know, Andrew and I like to start out with a little bit of research to kind of let our listeners know the landscape of what we're looking at, what we're talking about. So according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the median gross income in Illinois is $1,106. However, that depends largely based on where you live. And that makes sense because when you consider that cost of living varies by location, part of that cost of living is the housing prices. So for example, renting an apartment in Lincoln Park in Chicago will be more expensive than in Jacksonville, Illinois. But no matter where you're located, trying to find a nice place to live with an affordable rent is incredibly overwhelming. So Carrie, are there any resources to help in this search for affordable rental units? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. And on our last program, we talked about several programs that the Illinois Housing Development Authority has for homeowners. The Illinois Housing Development Authority also has a lot of useful resources for renters, and the information is useful for residents all across the state of Illinois. First of all, the Illinois Housing Development Authority has a list of affordable rental units where you can go online, you can search and find something that might be a good fit for you and your situation. The Illinois Housing Development Authority also has specific lists of housing options for persons with disability or those who might need emergency housing resources, like such as for people who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless. Lists of affordable housing units can also be available from your individual city or town, depending on where you're looking to live. So, for example, the city of Chicago maintains a list of affordable units that have been developed and supported by the city. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is referred to as HUD, also has a list of housing resources across the country. You can search for information specific to any city or town in Illinois. And they have lists of low-income housing, housing for elderly or those with special needs as well. Finally, the one last place I would say to to point you to is the Illinois Department of Aging. They have information that's especially useful to seniors or those who might be looking at types of housing that are like assisted living or nursing homes. People often also hear about Section 8 or public housing for low-income families or individuals. I actually lived in Section 8 and public housing before moving into the Habitat for Humanity house that I talked about on our last episode. So even though I actually lived in public housing in Section 8, 
as a child, I don't really have an administrative understanding of Section 8. So can you tell us a little bit about Section 8 and public housing programs, Carrie? Yeah, and these are very complicated programs. So I'll just kind of start by kind of giving a, a very broad overview of sort of how the what the programs are and how they work. So public housing programs and Section 8 programs are similar, but they operate a little bit differently. When we talk about public housing, we're describing units that are managed by a public housing authority that operates in a certain county, a certain city, a certain town. Like in Illinois, for example, Alexander County has a housing authority. The city of Bloomington has a housing authority. So the, the housing authority has their own units that they, that they maintain and that they manage. Um, you can search for local housing authorities by contacting HUD or visiting their websites. You can find out what housing authorities are operating in your area. So how the public housing works is that you'd apply to the local housing authority. And then if you're approved, you're assigned one of the housing authorities units. And the overall idea is that you pay the rent for the unit based on what you can afford. It's based on your income. It's not based on what, you know, the unit would normally cost or, you know, the size of the unit, what the, you know, what it would normally cost if you were just renting it, but it's based on what, what you can afford. So you might not necessarily be paying the same as someone else who has the same unit as you or someone who's within the same building as you. It's all individualized to the income of the family that has the unit. And the public housing authority does a specific calculation to figure out what's affordable for you. Basically, most of the programs geared toward having about a 30%, you know, 30% of your income going to pay for the, the units. Section 8 housing works a little bit differently. So Section 8 is a voucher program. And sometimes it's also called the housing choice voucher program. So if you hear that term, that's the same thing as Section 8. And what it means is that if you are approved to be part of the Section 8 program, you receive a voucher. And then with the voucher, you can go out to a landlord who's renting out units. This can be any landlord, you know, renting out units to the general public that anybody can rent. And, you know, you apply for the unit. If the landlord accepts your application, then you rent the unit from the landlord directly. You would have a lease with the landlord, just like, you know, in any other rental situation, but you're only going to pay a portion of the rent that the landlord would normally charge for the unit. So, you pay a portion of the rent based on your income, which is what be affordable for you, again, around 30% of your income. And uh, Section 8 pays the rest of the rent to the landlord. Keep in mind that not only do you have to be approved by the program, the landlord has to agree to be in the program, and the unit has to be inspected to make sure it's a safe living environment. So there is a lot of steps to the process. And Section 8 has to agree to the amount of the rent that the landlord is charging and that it's a reasonable amount of rent before they'll agree to pay a portion of the rent for you or on your behalf. And as I mentioned, the, the goal of both of these programs is to make, you know, the, the rental payment each month an affordable amount. They calculate the rent based on your income. Generally speaking, the rental amount is set around 30% of your income to make sure that you have adequate money to pay for other necessities such as food and medicine. So say, for example, your monthly income is $1,000, then your rental amount would be $300. Just to give a, a rough example of how the program works. So, you know, then the Section 8 program would pay up to, you would pay $300 for your rent. The Section 8 program would pay the rest of the rent up to the amount that they've approved for the landlord to charge for that unit. So, and again, just keep in mind, this is a broad overview. There's many specific aspects of these programs and requirements and criteria to be eligible. Since I 
was in Section 8 housing, I've paid attention to like rental property listings and kind of the things that you see in rental property listings. And what I've noticed is in some lower income communities, they will specifically address whether or not they accept Section 8 housing vouchers. So that if you're searching for an affordable place to live and you're thinking about using Section 8 at the voucher program, you'll have to probably apply right for the lease. And that can be depending on how the, the landlord or company that processes applications for leases treats that application. It could be a ding against your credit history. So if you know in the listing that they don't accept Section 8 housing vouchers, you don't want to apply and risk a negative ding on your credit report. So that would be something to consider when you're searching and thinking about using this as a tool to help you save on rent is make sure that you are as aware as you can be, like not every community is going to have a large amount of Section 8 housing. And so it's not it's not going to necessarily be part of a listing, but it is something to keep in mind. And that also makes just processing the whole process of searching for a home as a low income person more challenging and more hurdles and more, it's just something to to know about since it can impact other aspects of your financial well-being. Thanks, Carrie, for all that information and Andrea for your hands-on kind of experience there. It's always nice to get that real world situation, right? It may sound good and may think it's one way, but hearing somebody's experience is always nice. So Carrie, now that you've kind of given us an overview, right, of Section 8 and public housing, how does somebody know if they can qualify? Well, you have to apply to the Public Housing Authority or the Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Program to find out if you're eligible. So in the application process, they look at things like your family's income and how that relates to the median income for the, the location where you're applying to find out, you know, if you'd be eligible They'll also look at how many people are in your family, what assets your family has, meaning what kinds of things that you and your family members own. You might also have to send them bank statements, pay stubs, you know, statements from Social Security if you have Social Security income, those kind of things. They also consider whether you are elderly, a person with a disability, and they might consider your citizenship or immigration status as well. So these are just a few things they might look at. There's many other considerations involved in the application process. You should also be aware that some of these programs have waiting lists and you have to wait until a space opens up before you can apply for a unit. So sometimes people may find themselves behind on their monthly rent. Like they may not chronically be in a situation where they're low income, they may have lost a job or lost hours at work. Is there anything that might be available to help someone that is in this type of situation, particularly since leases are binding and it's not exactly easy to just find a cheaper place to live and get out of your lease? So can you, can you talk about maybe some of those opportunities for people? Sure. And there, there are some special programs for people who are behind on rent. One program that is available in certain areas is called Court-Based Rental Assistance. It provides emergency funds for people who are already in eviction court with their landlords. So this is only for people who've already you know, gotten behind on rent and are starting to go through the court process of being evicted. But the program provides grants to pay 
for past due rent. It also provides free legal aid. In some areas across Illinois, this program is closed right now, but in other areas, it is still offered. So the Illinois Department of Human Services has some more information about that program. There's other types of programs that might be available, again, at your individual county, city, you know, town level. There's programs for rental assistance, emergency funds. Throughout Illinois, there are community action agencies that have information about rental assistance and might be able to take applications for rental assistance as well. HUD on their website has a list of the community action agencies that are located in Illinois in various counties. So you can go on their website and find that agency that's in your area where you can apply to. You can also call 211 to connect to your local health and human services systems. 211 was something I just learned about as well. And I feel like it's not talked about enough. So use your 211. All right. So depending where you live, right? You may be able to access different type of rental programs. So I know that there's probably so many and you can't get into all of them, but can you give us an example or two of what that may look like to a particular area? Yes. The city of Chicago has a rental assistance program for people who have housing. They have a place to live right now, but they're at risk of becoming homeless because they've lost their income or they're experiencing some type of emergency. There's different qualifications that you must meet to be eligible for the program, but that's one example of a program that's available at the city level. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau also has a really nice list of rental assistance programs that because you can search your area, search Illinois or you know your town, and it shows you which programs are currently open and accepting applications, which are closed, which have a wait list. So it kind of gives you a lot of up-to-date information about the status of some of the various programs that are available in your area. The CFPB does so many amazing things for consumers. I'm constantly surprised and, and delighted with all the different things that they do. So moving on, People may be surprised to know that renters do have specific rights when it comes to housing and where they live. However, those rights can vary drastically depending on what city, county, or state that people live in. For example, tenant rights differ significantly, or they differ just slightly, not significantly, between Champaign and Urbana, Illinois. Like I live in Champaign, but I technically, my office is in Urbana. So it's a very close community, but depending on where you, where you live, you might have different rights as a tenant. Interestingly, in January of 2023, just this year, the White House Domestic Policy Council and National Economic Council released the White House Blueprint for a Renter's Bill of Rights. This report is meant to support state and local officials in further developing policies and practices that promote fairness in renting. Carrie, what type of rights do tenants have here in Illinois in general? Like not obviously Champaign versus Urbana versus Bloomington, but just in general, what are some of the blanket rights that tenants have? Thank you, Andrea, because that's a really important point. There are many different layers of laws, I guess, that apply to tenants. So that makes it kind of interesting and also difficult to summarize <laughs> very concisely. But there are things that range all the way from federal laws, you know, and then laws specific to the state of Illinois, and then laws specific to the county or even the city or town that you live in. So that's why you see the difference between Urbana and Champaign. There's an ordinance that, you know, is 
been passed in one or both of those cities that doesn't give exactly the same rights to tenants. So you, there is a lot of information out there. One resource that has a wealth of information is called Illinois Legal Aid Online. And you can search for laws that apply to different areas throughout Illinois. And they do have a housing section. So that's a really good place to start to kind of understand if there are specific laws that apply in your area, you might be able to read them there. A lease is also, keep in mind, a lease is a contract and a lot of your rights, you know, come right from the contract itself. So that's kind of one place to do is you could start to read the lease if you're having a problem and find out, first of all, does your lease say something that's going to address this problem? Because if it does, then in a lot of times, whatever the lease says will control. Now there are laws that can override terms of a lease. So they're important to be aware of those as well. But just to give an example, Chicago has its own residential landlord tenant ordinance. It addresses things like when the landlord can come and access your unit while you're living there, you know, what rights you have with regard to your security deposit that you might've put down on the unit, things like that. But Illinois law in general gives tenants certain protections before they can be evicted. And that's really important to understand. A landlord can't just come and change your locks because you didn't pay your rent. They can't just lock you out. If you're behind on rent, they have to give you a special notice and they have to give you an opportunity to catch up on rent before they can file a case against you. So that's one of the requirements of Illinois law. You have to have an opportunity to bring your rent current if you're behind. All right. So this can obviously be very overwhelming for anybody who may need help. So I know that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, HUD, as you've said before, has some type of counselors available. You know, you've mentioned that you've worked at Legal Aid. So can you tell us where people can go if they need help? Yeah, the amount of information is absolutely overwhelming. There are many different types of problems, issues, programs, you know, that, that you might encounter. So it's a really good way to put it. But the, the good news is HUD-approved housing counseling agencies are a terrific resource because they can provide free one-on-one -on -one counseling sessions that can walk you through programs that might work exactly for your specific situation, for your specific location. And there are also, there's a legal aid agency that is providing services in every county across the state of Illinois and they're free services. And you can also find them through Illinois Legal Aid Online on that website. You can put in your location and you can find out what legal aid, free legal aid programs are available in your area. So now that we've talked about both homeownership and renting, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Real estate wire fraud is a real thing and it's on the rise. So we want to highlight it and make our listeners aware. So the National Association of Realtors recently posted a blog regarding the FBI's internet crime report from 2021. And it indicated that from 2019 to 2020, there was a 17% increase in wire fraud in the real estate and rental sector. So this affected almost 14,000 people, resulting in losses of more than $213 million. With all this fraud, how can someone know who to trust regarding housing, especially if it's you have to make a down payment by wire or you have to make your initial rental payment by wire. Can you talk a little bit about what options are available? Yeah, with real estate and wire fraud in particular, I think that being in a re remote environment over the pandemic has made new opportunities for wire fraud because for 
a while, people mean we're not meeting in person in the process of buying a house or renting an apartment. People would be corresponding, you know, by email, by text, those sorts of things. And we've heard of situations where people in the process of renting an apartment or buying a house would receive an email or a text telling them to wire money to a particular account, like you said, for down payment, for security deposit, for first month's rent, um, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, sometimes these messages may look like they're coming from a realtor, the title company, if you're buying a house, the landlord, the management company, those sorts of things. So the best thing to do is always just to double check before you're wiring any money. If you're working with a real estate agent, if you're working with a landlord, a leasing company, just call them up, the contact person you've been dealing with to talk about the lease and say, I received instructions to wire money. Did you send these to me? You know, confirm that this is the account where you're supposed to wire the money. Because if they didn't send you the wire instructions, they don't know what you're talking about, then that is fraud. And, you know, you don't want to wire funds pursuant to those instructions. You don't want to contact the sender of that email or that message that could open you up to, to fraud situations. So it's always good before sending money, just talk, talk to your contact person, confirm what the instructions are confirm when and how you're supposed to send it and where. I feel like every day, every every podcast we do, there's some type of fraud that we need to address. So, but uh, Carrie, do you have any final thoughts on renting or even just home, just housing in general for our listeners? Yeah, I would just say that with all of the programs that we discussed today, it's really important to just remember that There are different criteria for who may be eligible for some of the assistance programs we talked about. Many programs have an application process, which requires you to submit specific forms and documentation, maybe information about your income, your pay stubs, your bank statements, things like that. So I would suggest that you just research each program carefully, make sure you understand what the requirements are and what the application process is. Unfortunately, many programs might have limited availability or they might have waiting lists that open and close. So I would just suggest look carefully for deadlines or limitations that the programs might have with regard to accepting applications. And if you have any questions or doubt at all, I would say seek out the free resources such as HUD approved housing counseling. Those are your best bets to get you in the right direction. Thank you so much for joining us, not once or twice, but now three times to talk to us about a variety of very important housing topics, Carrie. We hope that these episodes have helped people, our listeners, realize that there is help available if you need it. I loved having you here, Carrie. And I think you're the most, like, our most frequent guest currently. So (laughs) that's cool. We obviously love having Carrie here. So, and we just really appreciate all your work to make sure that to get all this information together for our listeners. So until next time, please like, subscribe and share Making Sense of Money. Money.